Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I am one of your usual hosts, Gregory Bosco. And uh, welcome back, everybody. Before I introduce Derek, we took a couple weeks off, just kind of recuperating after Planet Comic Con, a big local convention. We've got that podcast up already uh, being aired. And we're going to be jumping into some new topics today. So, uh, Derek, go ahead and introduce yourself. Why don't you share what we're going to be talking about? Sure. Hi, everybody. So I am Derek, one of the, the other hosts for Red Shirts and Runabouts. Um, the third voice, Jeremy, will be joining us in just a couple of weeks. He moved to L.A., and we did not want to finish up our original series movie reviews without him since we did four of the six. So we are going to do a couple other things this week and next week until he has internet. Um, so... This week, we're going to be talking about Star Trek controversies, and these come in two flavors. There are controversies in the sense of an episode that was controversial in nature, and controversial things that happened off the screen, uh, casting things, uh, things between cast members and the public, that that type of stuff. So we have stuff ranging, um, at least my list ranges all of the shows except for Discovery, I don't know about you, Greg. Yeah, I kind of left Discovery off because we just did the whole season wrap-up. And, I mean, I mean, there's stuff that happened that people are still discussing, but I still don't see anything on the first season of Discovery that just stands flat out as a controversy. At least not, not right now. Some of you know controversies do get worse with age. <laughs> well, I guess there was the controversy around the pre-production of the show, but that's that's stuff we've talked about before, so... Yeah, so I mean, I'm kind of with you. We can just jump right in with the original series stuff and go from there. But yeah, Discovery, we just finished the season review, so we're we're pretty well and caught up. Sounds good to me. Well, then um, I'm just going to kick off with an original series thing that's most people probably know, just to kind of get it out of the way, and that is the first interracial kiss on television, which was between Kirk and Uhura during Plato's Stepchildren. Which, if you think about when that happened, I mean, that shook American TV audiences. Yeah, it was a big deal. So it was in November of 1968. This was season three of the original series. So, of course, those who know the show well, season three was the last leg, unfortunately, of the show. They had some significant budget cuts and things of that nature. Um, it was a shorter season as well because of those budget cuts. Uh, so this happened... Uh, it was the 65th episode of the original series of the 80. That's the memory alpha count. I know that uh, the, um, the 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 cage is sometimes not counted as an officially aired episode because of uh, it never really airing with the original run. So yeah, so this was a very controversial episode uh, out of the universe. 
it was banned in much of the South here in the United States. Many states decided not to air the episode at all, which, of course, only hurt the ratings for the show. Um, and there was also some controversy on set, because originally Spock was going to kiss Uhura in the script, uh, which kind of led to the uh, the 2009 relationship between Spock and Uhura. Uh, this was that, that movie not being the first time. This was when it was supposed to happen. But William Shatner, uh, being the lead on the show, of course, as Captain Kirk, thought that it made more sense for the captain to um, be the one involved in that. Um, Greg, how did you how do you feel about how that went down? Well, I actually learned something. I didn't know that oh. the uh, difficulty airing the episode in the Deep South. I'm not surprised to hear that because there was still a lot of tension during the time of the release of the episode. I just didn't realize it had that kind of ramification. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I I did remember hearing about the whole Kirk versus Spock thing. Let's be honest. I mean, one of the things that most of the other actors complained about was Shatner wanting to be involved in everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. that's 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 where Galaxy Quest got its you know its riffs from. Oh, I see you lost your shirt again. It's it's kind of the Shatnerian aspect of Star Trek. But I mean, it's when you think of the time that kiss happened. If you would have told somebody in 19, you know, 59, hey, we're going to be making a sci-fi series in eight years and it's going to be airing on national television. And by the way, this sci-fi show about a bunch of nerdy characters that go out and do science stuff, excuse me, is going to have the first interracial kiss on TV. I think people would have laughed at Roddenberry. (laughs) I think they would have been like, why, like... What, what are you doing? What are you doing this? And it, it, it's one of the uh, items we've been talking about on Discovery is Star Trek in its history has always been a show pushing the limits of normal society. Mm-hmm. You of course, remember yeah. the, what was the I can't even think of the episode name The uh, with the, the people from Sharon. They're half black and half white on the sides of their faces. Oh, let this be your last battlefield. Let this be your last battlefield. And yes. it's kind of similar to the, to the famous Kiss episode because... They're talking about the racial division, and Kirk's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I'm black on the left side of my face, and he's black on the right side of his face. <laughs> right. And, and even Kirk and Spock are looking at each other going, um, that doesn't make any sense. Which, for America, if you parallel that to the kiss, why were people so freaked out by a, a, a Caucasian male kissing an African-American female? But they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. In fact, um, so it's a little more complicated than that. Um the show was actually, the episode was banned in the UK on the BBC uh, up until 1993, but it had nothing to do with the kiss. Uh, well, okay, I'm not going to say it had nothing to do with the kiss, but that was not the main focus. The main focus had to do with uh, the episode being too sadistic in nature. So I, I can kind of see that. <laughs> yeah. A so it was, bit. it was banned until 93 there, which is pretty crazy. Um, but the original plan that the, they were already concerned that the South would not play this episode with the kiss. So they would try to actually record two cuts of the episode to, uh, air them in different areas, but they never actually made it work. They kept having issues with the takes. It never worked out. So they ended up just filming the one version, which many stations in the South decided not to air at all. So, um, it definitely had a lot of controversy around it. It's, 
it's known as the first interracial kiss on TV. That's not entirely accurate. It's the first between fictional characters. Okay. Is uh, the the more appropriate way to frame that for anybody who uh, knows of the of other examples that that did happen with uh, non fictional characters. So you know, there's some stipulations there, but it was a big deal. Star Trek was very mainstream, even though it was on the verge of being canceled. It uh, you know was on a major network. It was there, of course, to sell televisions originally. So it was trying to do some edgy stuff, and whereas. You know, maybe let, let this be your last battlefield may have been a little on the nose. This one was as obvious as I think you could get. And, um, yeah, it was controversial, which is just crazy to think about. And the thing, the positive thing I like about that is people can look back on that. And most Americans, I know we still have our troubles today, obviously. Nobody's discounting that. But I believe the bulk of fans, I mean, almost all the fans probably, and the bulk of people would look back on that and go... What the hell's the big deal about the controversy? And I like that we're slowly making better progress, at least better than we were in the 50s and 60s. But yeah, that's a, it's one of the more endearing episodes, and like you said, it hit it right on the nose. I'm going to cheat a little bit, because my original series controversy is entirely to do with the Kelvin timeline. Ooh, okay. And it's the reason... I like I'll Disclaimer, I... I enjoy the Kelvin movies. I think Star Trek Beyond is the best of the three. Agreed. I think it's it might be one of the top top five Star Trek films to me. It's up there with not quite up with Wrath of Khan, but it's up there with you know Star Trek Six and First Contact with me as much as I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But the controversy I have is we kind of talked about this on when they were coming out with Discovery. Why it's like the Enterprise focused on. The show Enterprise focused on a prequel, and it's like they're bringing Star Trek back. And I know I understand what they did. Paramount, CBS, and company are looking at us, going, "We want to make money, and we want to make an entertaining film." So it's easy to take characters that everybody knows: Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Sulu, so on and so forth, and Scotty. It's easy to take them and to borrow a phrase from the Red Letter Media guys, you know, put everything into overdrive. But the controversy I have about that is they could have done something like post-24th century, like early 25th century. The Dominion War is over with. All this stuff's happened. Maybe the Borg invaded again. Show the Federation growing as a people and as a society. And we've never really seen that. We've seen cuts and glimpses of time travel stories. And what was it? That one clip, that one scene in those Voyager, I think, about the Enterprise J. Oh, that's an Enterprise. Oh, Enterprise. So, yeah. I mean, they got, I mean, we got stuff like that, but man, they could have taken a movie, gave us brand new characters. They could even use the same actors and actresses for all I care. Well, Carl Urban kind of looks exactly like a, a very good version of, of DeForest Kelly almost, but they could have, they could have chosen something different post 24th century, early 25th century. Federations recovering from devastating wars with the Dominion, the Klingons, the Borg invasions. This is what the Federation looks like now. Like, maybe the Federation turned more militarized. Maybe the civilian government fell because all the wars and 5 million dead and 900 million Cardassians dead and 1,200 ships lost. And maybe they could have explored stuff they've never really explored. And I think... I think they kind of went the safe route. They took characters we already know, put them into overdrive. 
shook the glass candle and said, "Every every every movie is just going to be big monster ship mm-hmm. and little and little enterprise and beyond beyond change that which I like." But it's I didn't I didn't like seeing Star Trek fall into the trap of the the Marvel trap, the big mm-hmm. bad villain with the big bad army and blue light beam or something. <laughs> no, I, I mean I think I think you're totally right. You know, the 2009 movie, which I do like, and Into Darkness, which I truly despise, uh, do basically have the big bad ship. It's all black and mysterious, but much more powerful than the Enterprise, right? Um, but, you know, it's been a complaint about the Kelvin timeline, and it's been a complaint about Discovery, too, that all you've done is pigeonhole yourselves and open yourselves up to criticism about canon. People want to argue that you know, people need to drop the concept of canon. We don't have to talk about canon. Canon is just, you know, a frustrating construct. All of those conversations would have been avoided if they had jumped ahead. If they had just decided, we're going to jump ahead, maybe to the timeline of, say, the Star Trek Online video game, the MMO. And because that's, you know, about the time frame that Spock comes from in the 2009 movie. You just start there. It's after Nemesis. You can have cameos, like you said, because most of those actors are the appropriate age now for those types of cameos. And anything you do, any ships you make, any aliens you meet, they're all going to be new, and they're not going to break canon that easily because it's in the future. It hasn't happened yet. So I'm totally with you. And if that movie would have proven successful, who's to say Star Trek Discovery, instead of being Discovery, wouldn't end up being a TV show based off a successful movie that brought Star Trek into the 25th century. I do know it's hard, it's very difficult to get a successful movie and keep that same cast and crew in a TV show. It's easy to go from, oh, easy, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not in Hollywood. It's a little bit easier to take a TV show crew and turn them into a movie instead of vice versa. Well, even that, I mean, it doesn't happen too often. It happened with Star Trek, but only with two of the crews. Yeah. You know, DS9 and Voyager, I mean, yes, I know that Admiral Janeway has her cameo in Nemesis, and Seven was supposed to show up in Nemesis, but other than that, you know, you don't really get a whole lot of cameos from the other other shows. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's that issue of why purposefully box yourselves in and open yourselves up to that type of criticism. The problems that a lot of people have with Discovery could be totally avoided if they jumped ahead two, three hundred years and had a fresh slate of all of this history, but this wide open frontier. I mean, it's an entire universe out there. Barely any of the galaxy has really been explored by the end of Star Trek Nemesis. Go out there, explore some new space. Yeah, explore some new space. Show how, you know, you can have some sidebar comments in there about, hey, there's a there's been a renewed Klingon Romulan border conflict. The Federation is trying to negotiate that while continuing science research. And, you know, we got a new warp engine that doesn't go warp 10, but it lets us go warp (laughs) 9.5 faster or for a longer duration. They could do stuff like that without shattering. And I I get what you mean about the canon. And there are some fans out there like, what? who who cares? Just make an interesting story. That's fine when you're, you know, George Miller and you're making Mad Max movies that are all kind of like in the same universe. But they're not direct sequels to or from each other. Mm-hmm. It's you have Mad Max and he's got a car, but in you know Road Warrior and Mad, Mad Max uh, Fury Road, Max is like 
the secondary character. Whereas right. the stories is about everything else around him. And like you said, sometimes taking a chance, and I, I said this in our Star Trek Four podcast, the review, like imagine one of the most successful Star Trek films is the one where they took a chance on a story about the environment and whales. Mm-hmm. And I know there was people back then going, oh, this is stupid. What are we doing? We just got done doing Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock, and now we're going to talk about whales? But the movie holds up. I know people that became fans of the franchise because they saw Star Trek Four and then saw everything else. It is a fan favorite even to this day. It did very well at the box office compared to the other films. So, you know, it worked. But, uh, but yeah, so... So let's move on to my next one then. Um, so my next one is TNG. Do you have anything else from TOS? No, those that was I kind of talked about the uh, Let This Be Your Last Battlefield, which always kind of got me. It's a good controversy, and I agreed with you on the Ohura spot kiss. And my big my big gripe is still the Kelvin timeline. Yeah, I feel like we, we could talk all day about the Kelvin timeline. Uh, we have strong opinions about that. Um, but my my next one is from TNG. It is the episode Code of Honor from uh, Season 1, Episode 4, so very early on. Completely agree with you already. (laughs) In TNG. Um, It really is really, it's it's more of the third episode if you count Encounter at Farpoint as a single episode, um, because it was really the third one to air. And it is considered by many, myself included, to be the most racist Star Trek episode. So... For those who don't remember, the crew is delivering vaccines to a planet. Uh, is it Ligon 2, I think is how it's pronounced? And the entire population appears to be uh, black. And they have a lot of style and culture that would be stereotypical of a African influence on a low TV budget. Um, and they have to, uh, basically, Tasha has to fight one of the women to the death, uh, because that's just how they roll. And so it came off to be very stereotyped. A lot of offensive stereotypes, a lot of cultural things that were not sensitive in the slightest. There were a lot of issues with it. The cast really didn't like it at all. Uh, even Patrick Stewart was was not happy with this episode. Um, and it's, it's just kind of remembered as being incredibly racist. It was, without a doubt, incredibly racist. And I remember even reading some of the cast commentary. And I can't remember if it was Patrick Stewart or Jonathan Frakes, but one of them actually tried getting them to stop airing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they just... The racism... And uh, it's not like a Blazing Saddles, where there's obvious racism, but they're they're pointing out the sheer strange comedic Mel Brooks value. It's that really awkward, horrible racism where they're just pointing out racist tendencies mm-hmm. and trying to make them part of a story in the 24th century. And so it's it's awkward to watch. It's awkward to think of it as a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so Jonathan Frakes was actually quoted as saying the episode is a, quote, racist piece of shit. So, he, he, yeah. It absolutely is. 
Um, he told, uh, and this is from Memory Alpha, he told an audience at a Toronto convention, quote, the worst and most embarrassing and one that even Gene would have been embarrassed by was that horrible racist episode from the first season, Code of Honor. Oh my God in heaven. Uh, Brent Spiner said it was, quote, the, uh, it was the, quote, worst episode we ever did. Um, and, you know, it was really interesting because... The, the script did not call for everybody on the planet to be black. It called for the guards to be African-American actors, but that's it. Well, and this is going to be like an off topic to bring up, but did you ever see a historical film called Zulu? It's no, I've the, never, I've never seen it. It's about the British Zulu warfare in South Africa in the, in the late 1800s where they portray the Zulu tribes, but they do it in such a great way. And this movie was made in the sixties, I think. They do it in such a way where it's like honoring and revering them for their culture without making slapstick or bizarre, embarrassing tactics about it. Like anytime somebody's talking about how great the British army is, there's a, there's another soldier going, well, you know, I've, I've seen a, a Zulu troop run 50 miles a day. Can you do that? And then you, you watch Code of Honor and you're just like, oh, this is just bad. And, like you said, the, the script said one thing and they did something entirely different and, you know, they got Tasha Yar down there fighting and it's just, it's a, it's not just a bad episode. It's a, it's like an insulting episode. Well, who said it? It's an embarrassing episode. Yeah, it's an embarrassing episode, right? Um, that's what Jonathan Frakes calls it and, you know, there, there's a lot of issues with it. There's some weird stuff about it. For example, it's one of only two episodes that Michael Dorn is not in. Which is kind of interesting, um, you know, to, to think that uh, Worf, who's really been in more Star Trek than any other actor, unless you count uh, Majel Barrett being the voice of the computer, of course. So for him to not be in that one is, is so early on is interesting. Of course, that was back when he was originally only supposed to be in 17 episodes. Yeah, that's no argument there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Dorn, however, of course, saw the episode, and he called it, quote, the worst episode of Star Trek ever filmed. <laughs> you know, he might not be wrong. So, um, I mean, look, Shades of Grey is pretty freaking boring and kind of a cop-out because of the writer's strike. I get it. But it's not an offensive episode. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not offending 25% of the population by airing a 40-minute just weird, insulting episode. Exactly. And of course, you have Enterprise's All Good Things, the finale, which is, or not All Good Things, wow, that's TNG's finale. Uh, These Are the Voyages is the name of the Enterprise finale, uh, which is offensive to the cast and crew of Enterprise, in my opinion, but that's separate. That's also a separate issue. So I think Code of Honor goes down as the most offensive Star Trek episode. Uh, definitely the most racist episode. I don't think there's any real question there. No, I don't think you're wrong about that at all. And so I. I'm kind of my controversial point is something I brought up a few episodes ago on a different topic, but I didn't focus on it too much. It's the departure of Gates McFadden and the entrance of Diana Moldar into Star Trek Next Generation Season 2. Yes. And I'm kind of focusing on that as a controversial staff decision because everything I've researched, it sounds like there was a pretty significant dispute between Gates McFadden and the producers, essentially on the growth and development of. Beverly Crusher as a character. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in season one, there's all these hints of 
some kind of underlying romance between Picard and Crusher, but it fades away, then it's back, then it's gone again, and then they talk about her husband. And then there's all this, all that kind of weird stuff happens, and then she's just gone. And, oh yeah, she's out, she's running Starfleet Medical, and congratulations, here's Diana Maldar. You know, she was on the original series. She's a good actress. People know her. And I didn't dislike the character. It's not like, who, which doctor do I prefer more? I will say I didn't think Diana Maldar blended with the crew very well at all. I didn't, there's no, like, chemistry. And there was no really good interaction. And it doesn't help that season two is filled with some really really bad episodes. Whereas part part of it is also that she begins like we are, we're introduced to the character in an episode where she spends most of her time insulting data, who was a lot of people's favorite characters. And so she just kind of comes off as a antagonist. Well, that, and especially if you consider the history that data has been in Starfleet for like 27 years, and he's won the Legion of honor like twice or something. Mm-hmm. We're not talking some random Star Trek or Starfleet ensign that just joined the ship. We're literally talking about Starfleet's version of Audie Murphy from World War II, like the greatest soldier in the army who's done the most and done the best. I'm like, that's data. Everybody's probably heard of him. And she she doesn't even call him him for a while. Mm-hmm. She's like referring yeah, he- to it and she's like constantly scanning him and all this it's like what is wrong with you woman have you how could how could you rise to the rank of a full commander in starfleet medical be like 55 60 years old and never heard of commander data it's it's ridiculous i mean he's the second officer he is you know third in command of the federation flagship and takes command on a regular basis because of that so he's entrusted with starfleet's most advanced important vessel on a multi-time-a-week basis, and she comes in and has to be really insulting. So that was not great for her character from the get-go. No, you're right, and they kind of use her to try to be almost like a moral foil for Picard now and then. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't work, because starting in Season 1, Picard was the moral, or the moral foil for Starfleet. <laughs> the the moil. <laughs> the moil. Yeah, he was the moil. Um, he, <laughs> He was the moral fiber of the next of the crew, and he would he was starting to give really cool speeches and statements in season one. Mm-hmm. It's like then you bring in Diana Maldar, who every so often, and I don't you know I don't blame her as much as I blame the writers, and that was also season two was the start of the writer strike, I believe. So, you know, some of the stuff when she's having conflicts with Picard and Data is just it's like oh my god again, what is this? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it's nothing against the actor. It's the character that people really had a lot of problems with. And it was the loss of Gates McFadden because Gates is a very strong person. She has opinions and she's going to voice them. And the network didn't really like that at the time. And it was thanks really to Patrick Stewart and some of the other cast members that they really demanded that she be brought back because she was an integral part of their group. And... You know, it's hard to picture TNG without her, especially in the later years in the films. The relationships that she grows with the rest of the crew are pretty freaking important. I agree. So that was that's my controversial choice for Next Generation. It's like, why even make the change? And then season three, oh, she's back! Yay! <laughs> well, where's Pulaski? We don't. We're not going to talk about that. 
Right. We never really do find out what happens to her, I guess. Not in canon, anyway. I'm sure she's in the book somewhere. But, yeah. It's a good point. Well, my next one, then, I'm going to move on to Deep Space Nine. I'm kind of just going to hit one from each series. Kind of seems to be our pattern. And this one is very much in vain of my TOS pick. And that is Deep Space Nine's uh, Season 4, Episode 6, Rejoined. Which is the famous trill kissing episode. <laughs> uh, that is for anybody. A, that's a, this is a very good topic. It is. And like, so let's, let's just make sure we get the time frame right here. It is October of 1995. All right. And Star Trek has finally decided that they're going to have a same sex kiss on TV. Now, I appreciate what they were wanting to do, but I feel like they really copped out, and it wasn't now until Discovery in 2017, um, and of course some in 2018 here, that we finally got what I consider to be legitimate representation. And the reason that this one is on the fence for me, in Rejoined, is that, uh, for those who don't know the episode, so Dax, uh, Jadzia Dax, is a trill, she's a joined trill, and uh, because of that, the, tr- the trill symbiote has a lot of memories from various previous hosts, some of which were male, and those males had um, what we would consider to be heterosexual relationships, male male hosts with female lovers, and that's basically what happened here, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. So, they really were having someone with the memories of being a man in a relationship with this woman kissing each other and being romantic with each other. Now, that doesn't 100% discount what happened here, uh, but, you know, they're both aliens, they're both trills, neither of them are humans. At least Kirk and Uhura were both human. Um, Of course, you could argue that they were forced to kiss in Plato's stepchildren, whereas in here, there's another little bit of a cop-out where it's really the memories of a man. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's the memory of the former husband, that meets his former wife and there's still that attraction there. But, and that's, man, you just hit on something because they never really explore the whole trill physiology at all about, yeah, they talk about when they get the, when they get the symbiont, but does that symbiont also control just memory or does it also control like sexual desire? We don't know. Well, it feels like there's a lot that's interconnected that a lot of your intuition, a lot of your, gut instinct is based on the experiences of the symbiote. And that's why Esri had a lot of struggling was because she wasn't prepared to be a host where, you know, they, they go through years of preparation and study and testing to be matched to a host. So it's a good fit. And Esri didn't have that opportunity, whereas Jadzia did. So they're supposed to be, it's really a symbiotic relationship legitimately. Um, And so Jadzia by herself is not really a person anymore. She is Jadzia Dax. She's the literal host of the Dax symbiote. Okay. You know, it's kind of how it's always been explained. Um, and similarly to Plato's stepchildren, this episode was considered highly controversial. It was banned in the South, um, by some of the broadcasters down there. So some people never even got to see it. Um, you know, it, some people were calling out saying that it should have a parental guidance warning in front of it, which, of course, shows didn't really have much of back then. It, it still happened from time to time for some of the more adult stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
I mean, there were people who were quoted saying, you're ruining my kids by making them watch two women kiss like that. Uh, oh, and my goodness. I'm not surprised that people <laughs> complain like that, but for God's sake. <laughs> right? So in like I mean there's there's a there's a whole story uh, about about this um, on Memory Alpha if you want to check it out but I'm just going to read this this little story here because it's really interesting. So the the man who complained about it ruining his kids, a production assistant took the call, and after hearing the man's complaint, the, the public uh, the production assistant asked the man, would it have been okay for his kids to watch the episode if one of the women shot the other? And the man said he'd be fine with that. So the production assistant responded with, you should reconsider who's messing up your kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, really, you really need to reevaluate the priorities in your life. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Like, the idea that watching people shoot and kill each other, violence is fine, right? But two people who legitimately love and care for each other, showing that affection is deeply offensive. Well, I'd like to say America's grown a lot in 23 years, but sometimes I don't know. But I'm going to leave that for a different topic. But man, to even think that somebody would be like, yeah, I'd rather her kill you. I'd rather her, you know, garrote her with piano wire. I'm like, what? Yeah. Now, uh, one final interesting note is the episode was actually directed by Avery Brooks, who played uh, Captain Sisko. And uh, he... uh, he has a quote here. It was a story about love and the consequences of making choices out of love. The kiss was irrelevant. And I think that's part of the point, right? That it was a love story and these two people in love do happen to kiss and that happens, but that's not the point of the show. No, and that's a great, that's a great comment for it's two characters in love showing affection for each other, regardless of, of gender. It, you know what? I'm using the Star Wars example, damn it. It's Anakin and Padme in Attack of the Clones. Nobody questions their physical attractiveness to each other. They're both very good looking people. But there's no chemistry and there's no reason for them to be in love in that movie. And so when the love story starts happening, most people are cringing going, this is literally the most awkward love story we've seen on, in a movie in a long time. Versus, you know, Attack of the Clones comes out six, seven years after this one episode of Deep Space Nine where you can argue the two actresses have more chemistry together for the first, you know, lesbian kiss in Star Trek. And it's because, like you said, Avery Brooks made the comment, the show's not about the kiss. The kiss is part of the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what's yours? Mine is less interesting or uh, pol- politically controversial. My controversy point for Deep Space Nine that's always bugged me is how frail the goddamn ships are in seasons four and uh, and past. (laughs) And I and I know why they did it because people like cool explosions and they they it's the the really the birth of CGI capability where computers you can program a model one time and you can send it to another modeler who can program it to explode. I get that, but. All our Star Trek lives, watching the original series, we're watching Next Generation, original the original series movies, you know, Star Trek VI Undiscovered Country, which takes a beating from a cloaked bird of prey before they can figure it out. Whereas some of the ships we grew up to watch and love, it's like, do they even have shields? 
it's like sometimes the shields work, sometimes they don't. There's the Breen with their magic super weapon that can destroy everything. <laughs> you know, where the hell were they when the when the Borg invaded? Mm-hmm. And it's it's all this stuff. I'm just like, I get it. They took they made decisions that were good for for ratings, so therefore good for money. But it's like the vaunted, you know. The galaxy class ships, the the Galore class Cardassian destroyers, the Romulan warbirds. You know, you shoot it three times at this location, and ship's dead. I'm like, at, at that point, there's so many episodes that happen, and my my better half has to hear me rant about this all the time. There's that one Deep Space Nine episode where the second fleet or whatever loses like 120 ships in one battle, mm-hmm. or like the Battle of Chitanka. Where 360-some star, uh, Starfleet ships are destroyed and there's, like, one survivor. I'm like, imagine a president. I don't care who the president is. You know, if there's 500 people on a ship and they've got 85,000 casualties and three hours of battle. Imagine any president getting on TV and going, oh, we just suffered 85,000 casualties in Iraq. It's like the government might actually collapse. But in Deep Space Nine, there's almost no impact. There's almost no sadness. There's almost no, there's like no people looking around going, do we need to change our tactics or something? What the hell's going on with our ships? You know, in World War One, after the Battle of Jutland, the first major battle between the British and German navies, the British lost like four battle cruisers in rapid succession to the point where the British admiral's like, I think there's something wrong with our bloody ships. And I get it. It was good for TV, but man, the Star Trek nerds, mostly okay. I'm probably the only person this annoys, I admit. But it's like, man, seeing some of our favorite ships just go down after like two or three hits when they made whole movies, <laughs> Nemesis, where the Enterprise is duking it out with another larger ship for like 75 minutes to the point where the people are like, they just fired 300 torpedoes and the ships are still moving. Well, yeah, I mean, Into Darkness is a great example where the Vengeance is just slamming the Enterprise at, you know, at high warp, just destroying that ship, and it still flies. Yeah, it still flies, and people are getting sucked out into space, and the warp nacelles are getting ripped apart, engineering's getting ripped apart. I mean, Wrath of Khan's a perfect example. You know, the Reliant blasts the Enterprise at the engineering section, causing massive amounts of damage. But the Enterprise didn't get, didn't explode. No. I mean, no. that's why I, that's the controversial question I have is, did they just, was it too expensive to have shields involved? But I have to believe that this tenets of Starfleet, and Discovery kind of showed this, where they were suffering major defeats, but, you know, they lose 10 or 12 ships, and somebody talks about it. They talk about the Battle of the Binary Stars. They talk about losing 5,000 people a year later. Mm-hmm. But you yeah, have the battle, yeah. or Wolf 359, they bring that up in Deep Space Nine all the time because of Cisco, and they had 20,000 dead, and I, I'm just going to say it. Losing 20,000 at Wolf 359 is nothing because they had like a Wolf 359 three times a day in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, no, you make a good point. The ships, they, they do vary, right? I mean, Voyager gets pounded for seven seasons, seven years, you know, and uh, only gets destroyed a couple of times. So, <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, Voyager and Janeway are plucky little crew. They pulled out. They were able to keep their ship moving, but... Man, if Voyager would have, if that class would have been in Deep Space Nine, goners. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time they encounter a Gemini patrol craft, dead. Yeah. Anyways, that's my that's my complaint controversy is the decision they made 
from a story perspective to just make the ships made out of paper, like paper mache. It looked cool to watch them all fight and blow up, you know. So I got video games I can do that. There you go. I like Starfleet battles. Don't get me wrong, but the tension of the first five minutes of the premiere of Deep Space Nine when the Saratoga is fighting Wolf Three Five Nine, and you see the futility of Starfleet's combat, that was more emotionally interactive with me than the Dominion War. I found the Dominion War interesting. It was great visually. There's no emotional investment, yeah, investment though. I can see that. Well, let's move on then to Voyager. There's obviously more stuff to talk about in DS9. Maybe we'll do a part two of this at some point in the future. But uh, we're going to move on to Voyager. And I'm picking a very obvious episode. Uh, no, it's not Threshold with the lizard babies. That is a whole <laughs> separate thing. Uh, we could do a two-hour podcast on that one. <laughs> uh, but this one is Season 2, Episode 24, Tuvix. Ooh, that's a, that's a good one, man. Now, I love this episode, actually. It is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, um, and I understand the controversy behind it, and I think it's a healthy controversy, whereas some of the other ones we've talked about are not so healthy. So... What we have here, if for, for people who don't remember, I'm just going to read the synopsis off Memory Alpha. After a transporter malfunction, Tuvok and Neelix are merged into a single being. In the search for a way to restore them to their original forms, a moral dilemma is faced, as the new being does not want to be terminated. Uh, really, long story short, they get merged with a plant in the transporters, because transporter accidents make some of the best Star Trek episodes, and... Tuvix is a sentient, intelligent, friendly being who has emotions and memories of both of the other crew members, but he is a unique being, a unique psyche, a unique soul, whatever you want to call that, and gets to create relationships with the crew. He's participating in the ship and contributing, and at the end of the day, when they figure out how to separate him out, he does not want to die. He passionately doesn't want to die. And that's that's the big argument, right? The ship is lost in space, literally. 75 years from home, I guess at this point, closer to 73. Um, and what do you do? Do you keep the, the Tuvix, who is one person who contributes in a very unique way? Or do you bring back... Tuvok and Neelix, who not only then do you provide two people, two, two resources for your flight home, but one who is your chief of security, long life friend, and the other who's, you know, the expert on the Delta Quadrant, who, um, you know, has, has a significant other, right, in, uh, in Kess. And of course, Tuvok has a wife and children back home on, on Vulcan. Uh, it's a very controversial thing. It's it's almost a numbers game at times. What is the right thing to do? Do you kill one life to save two? Do you sacrifice one life to bring back the two that were wrongfully taken? Because you could argue that Tuvok and Neelix were killed in this accident if Tuvix is going to continue. And I'm just curious, Greg, how do you feel about this episode? The one thing that always bothered me the most is 
again, you and I have been fans of the series for a long time. You know, Voyager was basically our fourth major, well, fifth major if you count the animated show, series coming into this. And every series of Star Trek talks about the, their main point of Starfleet is to seek out new life and new civilizations. And I even think they used that quote in the episode because they're talking about, I, you know, Tuvix is like, I am literally the new life you are seeking. And I'm telling you, I have the memories of both people and I'm happier now than I was separate. And from a Starfleet ethical point of view, the Starfleet we know and love, in what Discovery's been kind of about the last few episodes, is Starfleet stands for something greater than any one individual. And in this case, two individuals happen to make one. And I, I do not fully understand their decision to split them up into two. I don't agree with it. I know they wanted to bring back both major actors, and I get that there's contracts and all this stuff, but the story-wise, it doesn't fit the Star Trek ethos that we know and understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really fair way to look at it. Um, it From a TV perspective, right, yes, you're going to bring back your two regular cast members because you're only on season two. Um, but what a chance it would have been for them to keep Tuvix, to keep him around, to let him grow. Um, it's a, it was a really bold decision. I think it would have been a bold decision to keep him around. But at the end of the day, they did kind of the safe thing and bring back your two regular characters. And to your point, for the, you know, the spirit of the Federation, they, they did kind of kill somebody. And you could say that his creation was an accident. Um, but that's something that Voyager actually deals with multiple times in the future, whether it's one, uh, with the advanced Borg from the 26th century who sacrifices himself, or even the doctor, when the doctor starts having issues with his programming because they've let it expand too long. Voyager tackles and struggles with what it means to be alive and what rights a living being has. And I think this episode is the beginning of that arc of that. What does it mean to be alive arc? It's basically the measure of a man arc, but done multiple times throughout Voyager. Well, and if you think about it, there was the, uh, I'm racking my brain right now. Cause I just lost the damn thought. Now it's going to bother me. It's Cause there was a next generation episode <laughs> and, uh, Oh, when Riker, he gets that transporter accident in one of his past commands and it creates a duplicate of himself. Oh, right, yeah. When they find the duplicate, they don't kill him for being, <laughs> you're not supposed to be here from a transporter accident. I mean, let's let's ignore the fact he's got the exact same beard and haircut as Riker, even though it's been like 10 years. We're going to ignore that. But they don't just mm-hmm. say, you know what, you're not supposed to be here. Sorry. We're going to have to combine you with the transporters again. They didn't do it. They're like, no, you're a new life form, so I guess we're going to let you go and go do whatever you end up doing. Which is horrible, what he ends up all doing. But it's <laughs> it, it's kind of the same thing, right? They had a transporter accident. Just yeah. instead of combining two, they, they split one into two. Absolutely. So that's two Vix. I know a lot of people hate the episode. Some love it. Some love to hate it. I, I love this episode. I think that everybody is incredibly strong in it, um, specifically Tom Wright, who played Tuvix. 
I think he just did a phenomenal job um, with that role, having to balance these two psyche that, frankly, I mean, he wouldn't have had a whole lot of time to prepare for. So that's that's what it is. And, you know, uh, I think that they went with the safe decision, which was the anti-Federation decision, actually. Uh, but the bold decision would have been interesting, at least if maybe it had lasted multiple episodes. But, of course, in the 90s, that would not really be the case with episodic television still reigning supreme. No, you are absolutely right. So what's your next one? My Voyager topics are kind of tied in together. Um, I think the whole controversy of when they cast the first female captain, I think is just stupid. I, you know, you can think what you want of Kate Mulgrew as an actress, but I thought the whole controversy of uh, women command starships, whatever. I'm like, you guys do, did anybody remember Star Trek Four? There's a female captain of the Saratoga and that was like 20 years ago. Nobody cared. People, in fact, are like, who is that actor? What's happening to that ship? People were curious. And here's the thing. I don't actually believe most Star Trek fans cared. I think they were just excited to have Star Trek back. But it's always that outline fringe movement. They're like, you know, I saw a Star Trek episode one, and I don't like, I don't like them casting her. Uh, but I will say the single, I think, single most controversial Star Trek decision that annoys me to this day even more than the DS9 ships made of glass, is Voyager with Captain Janeway saying, what if we make a deal with the devil about an alliance with the Borg? And I physically remember just thinking, I was like, well, the Borg are no longer an actual villain to me. (laughs) Because I get it. I get what they were doing with the whole species 8472. I understand all that. That's not... I get it. And I'm not mad at... I don't care if it was Janeway that said it. I would have said the same thing if Picard said it. I'd have been like, "What?" I'm like, "We, you don't." It's like, well, Chakotay had that line in that one episode, you know, the fox and the scorpion, right? And they're they're crossing the river, and Scorpion's like, "Oh, I need some help," and the fox says, "I'm not going to help you. You'll, you'll just sting me." And the mm-hmm. Scorpion's like, "No, why would I sting you? You know, then I'll drown." Oh, okay. And the scorpion gets on his back and they're swimming across the river. The scorpion stings them. And the fox is like, well, now we're both dead. Why'd you do that? Well, it's in my nature. I'm like, it's the Borg up to that point have never been established as a species that care about deals or treaties or anything, even if it's in their benefit. You know, when they invaded the Beta and Alpha Quadrants, they attacked the Romulans. They destroyed Klingon outposts. They attacked Federation outposts. But the Voyager Borg would have likely approached the Romulans and Klingons and said, hey, wait a second. Or at least the Romulans have gone, hey, you hate the Federation. How about you attack at the same time we do? I mean, if you think about it, the end result's the same thing. They're making a deal to benefit themselves, right? Which is what Janeway proposes to them. And I just, I don't get that decision. I almost would have preferred her to be like, hey, you know what? I remember Picard and these classified files. They were working on some sort of weird geometric virus. That would destroy the Borg, and she's like, "We're gonna, do, we're gonna do that." But then I know the end result is species eight four seven two wipes out everybody. So I get the decision, but I still just I'm like, "Oh man, the Borg were those villains, right? They were just those villains you didn't mess with." That is one of the arguments about Voyager, though, is that Voyager basically takes the teeth out of the the Borg because until before Voyager or outside of Voyager, you know, you've had. Uh, the best of both worlds. You've had first contact. 
You've had a few others in between. The Borg are always scary. They're always intense. They're always a threat. Or we're always on our heels trying to survive. And Voyager just continuously takes their teeth away. And part of it was inevitable. They were going to go through Borg space because that's just how the map was drawn. And they either were going to have to cheat and go around, which I think people would have thought was lame, or they were going to have to go straight through and explain how one small science vessel of 139 people was going to survive Borg space. Yeah. And I get, like you said, I get why they did it because for storytelling purposes, it makes sense. It's just a decision I didn't agree with. I didn't like. It doesn't mean I dislike. And that's, that's something you and I, as fans, I, I like among us. We can dislike aspects of Star Trek or characters without hating a show. Oh, of or, course. And when that's where I think a lot of these controversial points come up is so much of the controversy comes up from people that have just absolute ignorant hatred of certain things. Like, I think there's some people out there that would take this, the Janeway example I just used of the bad decision and just casting aside the whole character in the whole show. Mm-hmm. And I'm not about that because I, I like, I enjoy lots of shows and there's lots of stupid decisions that happen where I'm like, that was a bad decision for the story. But oh well, I still like Star Trek. I still like Voyager. I, Janeway is a very decisive captain. You know, I'm glad they didn't hypersexualize her, which would have been easy to do. And I know there's controversy with Jerry Ryan, but you know, Jerry Ryan's a beautiful actress. She's, you know, women in Hollywood at the time, you know, they're still trying to get more power today, rightfully so. But, you know, she was still young and come, up and coming at the time. And I, you know, they sexualized her a lot. Let's not, let's, let's not try to be shy about that. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad they didn't try to do that with Janeway. I'm glad they had Janeway as a captain. I think the controversy around her was stupid. I know, I remember people complaining about her hair. I'm like, shut right. up. I mean, right. shut up. That's just, you guys aren't fans. <laughs> it's, it's, you're... You're not fans if you're worried about the kind of style of hair Captain Janeway has. Yeah, I agree with you. But you know what? <laughs> like we kind of we burned all of our time here, and we're not even done. Um, I don't know. Maybe we have to think about doing a part two of this in the future. I think we do because there's so many interesting topics out there. Well, we got 50 years of Star Trek, and we only focused on you know eight eight or nine individual aspects right now. Yeah, so I think then we should probably call it quits here, and we will continue this soon. I'm good with that, buddy. All right, well, we will be back next week. Jeremy uh, will be out one more week. Hopefully he'll be back the week after that. So next week, not sure yet what we'll talk about. Maybe we'll continue this. Maybe we'll do something else. But thank you all for tuning in, and we will catch you guys next time. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcasts.com. Engage. Hey. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.